Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Uh, this week, we are reconnecting with Travis Macy. Um, Travis is an adventure racer, ultra endurance athlete, ultra runner. I mean, this guy's a mountain athlete through and through. He's done pretty much any kind of like endurance racing kind of I don't want to say technique. I don't know the word I'm looking for here, but let's just say he's kayaked, he's snowshoe raced, he's mountain biked, he's ski mountaineered, uh, ran, orienteered, all sorts of stuff. And he is incredibly experienced. He's done over 120 uh, ultra endurance races all around the world, um, was a big time adventure racer. Uh, he won Leadman. A few years ago, which if you don't know what Leadman is, that's every ultra race in Leadville over one summer. And so that's like a uh, 50 mile mountain bike, uh, mountain marathon, all the way to the Leadville 100 mile run. And there's a few more uh, other events that I'm not listing that I can't remember. <laughs> but there's like five or six extreme events there. And and most importantly for this show, he's just a really good dude. Um, he's a coach for endurance athletes and he wrote this amazing book and we've had him on the show before and we kind of dig a little bit deeper into the books in that episode but let me just reiterate his book is called the ultra mindset and it is up there for me of like top three ultra running endurance racing books that i've ever read um and the thing i really love about it is he combines his own story and his own stories from these races whether they're like I said adventure races or really long runs or stuff like that and he combines those stories and they're really entertaining because there's just something about like observing someone's experience as they're intentionally putting themselves through like a really hard time in these events um so each chapter has that but then it goes into the mindset that he's developed because of that event and um there's some like amazing lessons the lessons in this book are incredible if you're an endurance racer i would highly check it out because one it's a really good reminder of a lot of these ideas like his first one is probably the most important it's just it's all good mental training which basically is the mindset of like even when things are going bad in a race you're still advancing mentally right like you are able this is a good thing because now you're able to see if you can withstand or overcome um so they're good reminders but also at the same time i mean this guy's one of the most experienced mountain racers in the whole entire world so uh he has some awesome the like digging deep into his mindset and him being so open with it is just uh it's really solid it's really good thing to read especially if you're preparing for a race if you haven't done any endurance racing and you're curious about this, especially what we kind of like try to dig into in this, in this podcast, which is this mindset that develops kind of this kind of like stoic one foot in front of the other, keep moving forward mindset. If you've never done an endurance race and you're curious about that side of things, I mean, I would check it out, see what he's gotten himself into and it'll help you realize that you probably can achieve so much more. Um, so yeah, so that's called the ultra mindset. And 
I, I mean, I'm blown away by this book, so you guys should for sure check it out. I'm rereading it right now because um, I'm preparing for a race uh, this Saturday, which is going to be really difficult. It's probably the most time on my feet that I'm going to have um, that I've ever had, and uh, it should be good. So, yeah, but on this episode with Travis, uh, we talk a bit about that and his coaching philosophies and his mindset and stuff like that, but mostly we dig in to uh, his race report he just did. Um, the iconic Grand Traverse from Crested Butte to Aspen. And it's uh, over a couple passes. It's above, a lot of it's above 10,000, 11,000 feet the whole way. And he's skiing with a partner. And they face some unexpected adversity, which you'll hear about. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so we kind of get into that story. So I hope you guys enjoy. I really love talking to Travis. He's just a, like I said, just just a really good, nice, wonderful human being. So uh, here we go. This is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 145 with Travis Macy. I want to welcome to the show Travis Macy. Welcome back on, man. It's good to see you, first of all. Chris, thanks. It's awesome to be here. I really enjoyed um, being on your show in the past and uh it's good to be back yeah Great man. To be back with the audience as well yeah well and i have to give you props this is the earliest we've ever recorded and uh <laughs> <laughs> and after you know i read uh, reading your book the ultra mindset one of your rules is the 4 30 a.m rule and i was like it's just fitting you know yeah i i like to get up and after it and uh, you know probably like many listeners of the of this show you know you you find the the early morning hours often is a good time to um, to be alone, to train, uh, to work, to or to accomplish you know something like this that's important. But I would rather do it now, for example, when my family's asleep, than in the evening when you're taken away from family time. Yep, one hundred percent, man. And I think like at least for me, my focus is so much better in the morning. You know, like I kind of lose that discipline as you go through the day. And by like eight at night or nine at night, like all I really want to do is just sit around and, and be a bum. So, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And you know, different people are wired different ways, but if you're a morning person like you and I, that's often a good time for creativity for, you know, that's when I, I, if I'm doing any writing, it's always in the morning or my creative coaching work when I'm actually, you know, thinking about the programming for athletes and that kind of stuff. Um, Morning's, morning's the time. Yeah, man. It's also the good time to, to be outside or uh, if you want to do something like hunting or fishing, uh, morning is morning's the, the time to do it. Is key. Well, so what's your like morning routine like? So right now you're at the coffee shop and it's yeah, 5.30 and there's a little, there's, Yep, there's a little bit of um, music here in the background at Starbucks. I hope it's not coming in too much. Oh, no, it's um, good. Everyone's rocking out probably listening to the show. Yeah, yeah I, you know, Usually, my, my morning routine is just, um, you know, alarm goes off at five. I've got the um, coffee prepared the night before. So, <laughs> you know, kind of stumble out, start the coffee while that's starting to go. I um, do some yoga. Um, I, I read through a uh, kind of mission statement um, that I have on my phone as a calendar, um, you know, item. And that kind of grounds me a bit for uh, the day and, you know, helps me. Um, check in a bit with with my values and kind of things i want to do and bad habits that i uh don't want to do um and that's that's been really helpful doing that you know during that 
that yoga and while I'm sipping my coffee. Um, and then, then I do, um, 10 minutes of, uh, meditation, just silent meditation, focusing on, on the breath and being present. And, um, that's been super helpful as well. And, uh, then, you know, probably three or four weekday mornings a week, I jet over here to my office spot, if you will, um, and kind of hop into, hop into work. Um, which for me off the bat is, is typically the, um, coaching of, of athletes. So working on the programming, looking at, uh, their workouts from yesterday and, you know, analyzing, okay, what did everyone do? And, uh, you know, a little bit of feedback and often cheerleading and connecting because that's, that's kind of what we all need. And then from there, I'm getting into, um, programming of writing out the, the training plans, um, you know, for, for upcoming times. Um, and, and really that's the, you know, the, where the rubber hits the road with the creative work. And uh, one of my policies is um, not checking email, um, you know, until I've done that creative work. And, and I think that that's really important because if, you know, if you come into work and you just start with email, all you're doing is reacting yeah. often to, you know, sometimes to positive things, but sometimes to negative. And th- there's a lot of uh, both distraction and, and mental impact from <laughs> reacting to what people are throwing at you. And, um, you know, things like text message and email, in my opinion, are not made to be simultaneous communication. Those are, you know, things that you check every once in a while and head back. And if you want to communicate with someone simultaneously, you, you know, meet them in person or, or talk on the phone. But yeah. I think when people are just constantly checking text and email all day, everything is disjointed and you're never present with anything. Yeah. And I think there's like a sense of control, right? Like if I'm just checking my email all the time, like you said, I'm responding to someone versus like you waking up early, setting your intention, doing all of these activities first, you're taking control of your day, like right away, like instantaneous, you know? Um, And it's one of those control the controllables, you know, and one of the controllables is, do I check, you know, email and stuff like that? Yep. Yeah. And we've always, you know, obviously no, no one's perfect. We've always yeah. fallen. We've all fallen into those moments where, you know, all of a sudden, oh, I have, you know, checked my email a, a million times or, you know, checked it on my phone when that's not my yeah. intention, et cetera. And, you know, that's like no, nobody's perfect. That's, yeah. you know, especially I think for, you know, let's say someone's listening to this. Maybe you're, you know, you, you probably have a job. Maybe you have have kids and maybe you have some, you know, kind of outdoor passions, um, you know, it's going to be a, a shit show and a balancing act a lot of the time. And, and that's, that's okay. It doesn't yeah. have to be perfect and, and smooth. And I know it's not for me. Yeah. Yeah, man. So I want to kind of like talk about your coaching. First of all, what I know last time we talked, we talked a lot about you kind of coaching the lead man athletes. Um, Mm -hmm. a lot of people doing that, but like what other kind of big goals are people seeking when they seek you as a coach? Yeah. So Chris, you know, it's a whole range. Um, there's, we have two coaches in my company, myself and Brandy Airholtz, um, who's a a good friend of mine and, um, also a, a top level level, uh, runner. Um, Brandy was a real fast road runner and then shifted to the, um, you know, kind of mountain running scene and was on the, the uh, U.S. national team for that and won a number of championships um, domestically and internationally. So Brandy coaches only runners, uh, but she has a good range in running coaching. She can coach someone who's, you know, going for a 10K PR 
or, you know, uh, shorter mountain running races, you know, kind of half marathon or below, whether that's trying to make the national team or, uh, you know, or just get out and do your first trail 10K or half marathon, or even um, uh, like Brandy's coaching one of the top um, female OCR racers. Oh, um, really? You know, yeah, and it's really helped her with with some with with her running um and then up through um ultras as well especially for many women they find it's helpful to have a a female coach just you know for that connection and understanding and you know kind of like you and i brandy has two young kids she's running that balancing act as well with her own training and racing and i think to to have a coach who understands that is really valuable so so brandy works with just runners um i work with with runners as well and for me running is primarily ultra running um is is usually what most of my people are doing or maybe they're focusing on ultra but they have some short races here or there i don't focus on um you know coaching road running or road marathon or triathlon or yeah. something like that you know it's a it's really a, a niche of both, like I said, the ultra runners and then multi-sport athletes. And when I say multi-sport, that could be within the context of, let's say, one summer, like you said, doing yeah. the Leadman series, which is long-distance, high-altitude running and mountain biking. Um, or maybe a multi-sport athlete is someone who's doing different things throughout the year. So I've, as especially as ski mountaineering has grown here in Colorado. Uh, you know, myself and a number of my clients, it's maybe, okay, winter is a ski mountaineering focus. And then summer, maybe an athlete is focusing on either ultra running or mountain biking. And then in the fall, you know, maybe it's again, biking or cyclocross or yeah. something like that. So kind of a range. And, and then also um, some adventure racers here or there. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think there's, you know, many endurance coaching coaches who have a lot of adventure racing experience and yeah. so that's something often these are international clients you know someone who's training for the world championship you know the eco challenge a big race in china something like that and maybe it's someone i've known in the past or we have a mutual connection or they've read it, my book or something yeah. like that so we're you know kind of getting ready you know either throughout a season or for you know one particular big race yeah do you think with because the eco challenge is coming back this year right um, yeah, Eco Challenge is coming back. Um, the race is in Fiji in September. Um, I think it's slated for, for an Amazon Prime um, TV production, you know, a series probably so sometime cool. in 2020. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the race has not released um, the list of, of teams yet. Um, it's something I'm thinking about and uh you know <laughs> potentially kind of shooting for and, yeah. and we're kind of waiting you know i, I would expect sometime soon amazon slash eco challenge maybe putting out a uh, you know some kind of information about these are the teams and, okay um and, and the website is up if, i think it's ecochallenge.com or something and there's a trailer and you know like bear grills is involved he's i don't know if he's the on-screen host or something it's produced by mark burnett and mgm and so you know it's a big production i think for the sport of adventure racing pretty exciting to you know take um really what has been the most prominent race and you know maybe bring it a bit back to the yeah you know kind of forefront of of regular american culture um and i think some of these you know especially you look at amazon and netflix you've you've got you know the barkley movie or you know these different you know kind of endurance sports fringe endurance sports that um because of a platform 
like Netflix or YouTube or Amazon that anyone can watch. Like these things have, have become popular. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's still, it's not NBA playoffs, but it's, uh, you know, still, still become, um, popular. And so that's, you know, that's kind of exciting and we'll see, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Do you, do you think there'll be like a resurgence in adventure racing after it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Maybe who, who yeah. knows, you know, yeah. you can never, yeah, you can never predict, you know, I mean, we had like kind of, as I got into adventure racing in the, in the early two thousands, you know, that was kind of maybe the very end of the heyday. But at that time, like, you know, adventure racing a, a lot through eco challenge through the TV. Um, but you know, primal quest and some of these other big races, I mean, we had some great sponsorship contracts, you know, from big companies and, um, you know, and, and there was a bit more knowledge of it. And, and then, you know, things just shift. Ultra running started really growing. Yeah. You know, Solomon kind of made a shift from they were they were sponsoring our adventure racing team. And then there's this 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 kid named Killian who's doing all this cool running stuff. And, you know, it turns out like, oh, that was a pretty good investment on Solomon's part. Oh, yeah, like, we're good investment. Focus on, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, and it's awesome for Killian and everyone else. Yeah. You know, so so that kind of, in, uh, you know, ultra running grew a bit more, which is great, too. And, and then we've got, uh, you know, obstacle course racing coming along. That oh, yeah. pulls in millions of people, which is awesome too yeah um you know and uh, so who knows we'll, we'll see i mean you know one thing about adventure racing at the you know especially sort of the eco challenge or world championship level it's still fairly inaccessible you know to most people more of a you know for most people i'm watching this kind of as a you know uh, fantasy or imagining or or you know reality tv show sort of idea um which is fine yeah but I think if that gets, you know, if that inspires someone to go out and take a hike or do an obstacle race or do a 5K or. Yeah, man, know, 100% go, agree. Yeah, like that's, you know, that's great for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually kind of agree, though, the whole. It, it seems like adventure racing is a bit more inaccessible. Because um, we've mm-hmm. talked in the past. I did a couple adventure races, uh, one in Iowa and one in uh, Virginia. And it was awesome. It was the best. Like, I love that event so much. Um, But for me and my group of friends, you know, 24 hours, 36 hours is a little too much for us. But Mm -hmm. and then I found a whole bunch that are like six hours. And I'm like, well, that's not enough to really like be worth the, I don't know, worth the like time and effort to get everything together. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just like, for me personally, I'm like the happy medium of, 12 hours to 24 hours which i've never done but i could see myself doing that like that that would be kind of like the key event for you know to introduce like to really like dive into it i guess yep yeah yeah Yeah, i i I agree and i would also say you know i've come as i've you know maybe come a little bit more back to the roots or exploring like what is the intrinsic drive for all of this and kind of a more um there's a great book called the the passion paradox that many miss many listeners might enjoy and they talk about kind of let's see if we can seek harmonious passion okay. you know rather than obsessive passion would be if we're going too far into uh external motivation yeah. and outcome orientation a harmonious passion would be more of you know why are we doing this at at the at the soul and for me when i explore those motivations it can lead to something i think a lot of people can pursue is you know make your own adventures so okay you've got 
you want to do six hours or 12 or, or you have one day like, OK, you have Saturday or Sunday or you can get out Friday morning by flexing your work or something. You know, think of something that's going to challenge you and push you and, and push your comfort zone a little bit and do it safely. You know, make sure that, that whether that's being with other people or having like I carry a um, Garmin InReach Explorer, which is a satellite messenger yep. device. Or like a spot um, tracker kind of deal. Exactly. Yeah. A spot. Yeah, it's kind of like a spot. <clears throat> I've heard spots some often don't work very well yeah <laughs> which is why i like the garmin one i've never um, i don't know if i've used it before but yeah 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 but something for me especially if i'm way back in the woods you know yes. off trail alone that gives me some you know confidence and, and peace of mind a bit yeah exactly and and so you know anyway it's you know you're imagine some adventure maybe you're gonna bike to a trailhead and then summon a peak and then come back and bike back home or yeah. you know maybe you're gonna drive out somewhere you know maybe you're into fly fishing but you're gonna combine that with a big hike in or run in or a, you know mountain bike in or um you know wh whatever it means to you you know maybe you're doing it alone maybe it's with a friend maybe it's with uh your whole family or one of your kids um get out and try to do one of these yeah. things and that really i mean you know in some ways a self-made adventure uh you know maybe is a little more true and natural than than a race yeah well it's so funny that you even mentioned that because the last podcast i did was with uh john kelly have you heard of him he is the last finisher mm, of the barclay he finished oh yeah yeah okay. yep. um but yep. he was telling me about this self-made adventure he's doing in uh, the United Kingdom, and uh, mm -hmm. which I accidentally called England, by the way. My <laughs> yeah, <okay>. um, <laughs> uh, I think those are pretty much the same thing around here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's like going to run the fells and then bike to another one. And anyways, long story short mm -hmm. is what you just said and just expressed is exactly how I felt too, where I'm like, if you design something yourself, now you're like pot committed, you know, like you're 100% mm -hmm. in because it's your creation, you know, yeah. like if mm -hmm. you come to those moments of struggle and the moments of like, why am I out here? You can fall back on like, well, this is something that's important to you because you are the person who came up with the idea, you know? Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's super yeah, interesting. And, you know, and on the other side, there's <clears throat> something to be said for a race too. There's a great yeah. momentum of being out there with other people. Uh, I, I'm, I believe in, competition you know here i am saying about you know focus on the process and yeah. don't become too overly focused on on the outcome or the place or prize money or whatever but i think i think competing is a good thing yeah. you know like if you like that i think you should you should do it so yeah. and, a race ever... is, and, and, and a race is also as far as doing something you know maybe semi-extreme for example i think about like the the grand traverse ski race that we did about a month ago which you know, midnight start, 40 miles, backcountry skiing, Crusty Butte to Aspen. Like, that's a great thing to do in a race because uh, it's a lot safer. There's people yeah. out there. You know yeah. the course is safe. There's medical support. Um, you know, that, like, I wouldn't do that in the middle of the night alone. Yeah. But in a race, it's, I feel it's perfectly acceptable risk level. Yeah. Well, I think that too, when, with that stage race I did last summer on the Cogapelli, yeah. yep. I'm like, we went in June. If I did this by myself, I would have no idea where to find water or how to yeah, carry would, enough yeah. water. Yeah, you know? exactly. It, it would wouldn't be, be a great thing to do alone. Yeah, but then doing <laughs> challenging yourself in a safe way, you're right, is important. Um, I do want to talk about Grand Traverse, though, because I'm wearing my oh, Grand yeah. Traverse shirt yep. right now. 
Just all right, sweet. Yeah, uh, cool. I'm wearing mine too. It's actually under this. No way. <laughs> yeah, it's my undershirt. That's awesome, man. So you did the yep. ski event. So um, last fall, I did the run event, and I was yep. telling you a bit on the phone last week. It was probably, it was easily the hardest race I've ever done. Just yep. solely, I think I was not ready for the altitude because mm-hmm. it's above eleven thousand feet for like most of the course, right? Yeah, uh, or ten thousand. Yeah, yeah. And then probably. I think the the uh, high points. I think you're above twelve. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're getting high, and you know, background on the Grand Traverse. It started as a ski race, the Elk Mountains Grand Traverse. This year was the twenty second year, which I saw in my shirt. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and it was just the ski for for a long time, and it really, you know, I would say early on. Um, was a Nordic skiing race. So those, those guys winning it were using, uh, Nordic gear, um, you know, kind of sort of shorter Nordic skis with skins at times, but a whole lot of skating. And and then also, um, skiing, you know, down compared to some schema races, the downhills aren't super technical or steep, but they're still, you know, you're skiing down the backside of star pass. Like that is a big steep mountain (laughs) and to do it with Nordic skis is really, um, you know, saying something, but that's kind of that was the original way to do it, and then sometime around 2006 or seven, the top teams started shifting from the Nordic gear to the lightweight Schemo race gear that was coming over from Europe. Um, you know, really via a few athletes in Colorado who kind of had some international connections. Some of these, you know, mostly people in the Gunnison Crested Butte area: John Brown, Brian Wickenhauser, um, Brian Smith. Uh, Pete Swenson, who, who lives in Breck, played a huge role in kind of bringing the, you know, this, the sport over, uh, guys like Mike Closer and Jay Henry, um, you know, so they started using that gear again, 2006, seven, eight, and that, yeah. now most people do it on lightweight schemo gear. There's some people, um, you know, using heavier AT gear, even tele skis. Um, and then occasionally you'll get a team. They said a couple of years ago, I think a team finished second or third. These guys are top nordic skiers from alaska and they just use straight up nordic gear and they're just super fit and great skiers (laughs) and they did they did uh they did really well and then like you said if i I don't know probably i I would say in the last five years i think i could be wrong they added you know the sort of grand traverse triple crown so you've got the ski and then that's in at the end of march and then in um i think september September, sometime in september you got to a bike and a run and kind of back to back. So you can do both if you want. You can, what is it, bike over the first day to Aspen yeah. and then uh, run back. It is the opposite. Yeah, it's run okay. to Aspen run and, then, and then bike back the next day, which yep. those people who biked back the next day, I'm like, you guys are champions. <laughs> like, I don't <laughs> <Yep>. know, man. <laughs> yeah. So you can, you know, you can do just one. Like I, I have only done the ski. I've never done the bike or run. You can yeah. do it like, you know, you did just the run. Um, and then a number of people will, will do the triple crown do them all three that's awesome similar to like a lead man event you know they will track total time um and the power of four in aspen has a similar thing ski mountaineering mountain bike run you know go for the total time and and those are awesome i mean the the you know the the guys winning those right now are are great skiers and bikers and runners yeah so they're just like all around mountain athletes yeah i mean to win one of those you have to be one of the top um skiers yeah. for sure oh yeah definitely well so i was wondering do you consider that 
like one of the iconic races of Colorado. Like if people are coming to Colorado as a destination mm-hmm. to take on some sort of event, would you say Grand Traverse would be one of those? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd say so. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, the, this ski is phenomenal. And again, that's especially for someone coming out of state, like, you know, there's so much specificity with gear and, you yeah. know, nighttime clothing management. That's a, you know, a huge undertaking, but uh, the, the run to the bike ride, you know, I coach people year round who are coming, living East coast or Midwest or somewhere flat and low. And they're coming up to do Grand Traverse run or Leadville or, you know, something like that. So, you know, these are things you, you can live anywhere. You can live in a low place and not have hills around, but you can train specifically and come out and get one of these things done. Yeah. yeah. Well, how do you train for altitude though? That's my only con- like, yep. even for me, like I'm living in Denver. So we're at what? 50, what is it? 5,200 feet. Yep. So like we're a little bit, but man, when you get to 10,000, it's a whole different story. Yep. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, if someone lives in Colorado, um, you know, there's a variety of strategies. One of them is is do some driving. So, you know, from Denver, like right now, yeah. right where I live at, in Evergreen here, Bergen Peak, that goes up to about 10,000 feet. And, you know, you can, I ran up that yesterday. Yeah. So someone from Denver can, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I'm not giving away too much of a secret because it's already crowded on weekends, but you know, you'd be <laughs> here in half an hour yeah. and then you run up and you're at 10,000 feet. And that is a great stimulus. Or you can drive up I-70 to the Bakerville exit where Gray's and Tories are and park your car right there at the highway and run up Gray's and Tories. Yeah. You know, you're getting up to 14,000 feet. So you probably wouldn't do that now, but early June, you know, that's good to go. So, so get up, get up high. And then there's, um, you know, also I would say specific, um, you know, physiological stimulation that you're doing for climbing hills and also descending. A lot of people, you know, the, especially if they haven't done much in the hills running, you know, hiking, trekking ultra wise, um, they don't realize what really beats you up is the downhills. So you're doing specificity for that. And that could be, you know, for example, athletes, I coach, we're doing specific uh, strength work to, to prepare, especially the quads for that eccentric contraction, the pounding coming downhill or just being creative. Maybe you're going up and down stairwells and hiking upstairs and then, you know, hiking slash running back down. That is great simulation of running down a steep hill in the mountains yeah so you're doing things like that you're doing maybe runs that are based based on vertical gain uh you know so i always i tell people a mile isn't a mile if all you're doing is thinking about (laughs) how many miles you're running you're missing out on a lot of what you you know could be doing yeah um and i most of the workouts i write are not mileage based um many of them are vertical gain based with a goal there and then for long runs, I, I have a mileage goal and a vertical goal. Yeah. So what we're really trying to do is hit this mileage and then as much as we can, you know, let's say you're doing a hundred mile run that has 20,000 feet of climbing and maybe your long runs 20 miles. Well, let's see if we can get about 4,000 feet of climbing, you know, kind of yeah. the same climb and, and, and loss per mile as you can. Oh, that makes and, sense. And I think especially long runs if you can simulate that if you have a key race coming up that'll make a huge difference yeah um and then then you know another piece with the altitude is maybe you're using some sort of uh device to help you 
simulate lower oxygen scenarios. Uh, and this could be sleeping or training. And for example, there's a company called Hypoxico. They make a, a tent that you can sleep in, uh, you know, at a lower altitude or excuse me, a lower <laughs> oxygen, higher altitude. Yeah. Uh, and they also make a mask so you could, you can't carry the machine with you, but you could be on a treadmill or a stationary bike wearing the mask and you're pedaling along at 10,000 feet or 12,000 or something. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, especially for some of my Colorado athletes use those, some of the out-of-state athletes use those. I think that can make it a huge, huge difference. Yeah, because that's like the biggest, like if you can be just adapted to the conditions of your race, you know, so exactly. if it's the high altitude, yeah. like Grand Traverse or like high yeah. heat or cold, like the ski, yep. I have to imagine like that is going to make it. It's funny because you're like, it's, I know it's not going to be comfortable still. <laughs> I know yep. it's going to be oh, difficult, yeah. Yeah. but it's going to be a lot more comfortable than had I not prepared myself properly. I yes. Guess. Training is all about specificity yeah. and you're exactly right. That's, that's temperature. It's, yeah. uh, you know, altitude, it's, uh, terrain, you know, is it rocky terrain? Is it, is it a flat course? Right. I mean, I do almost all my training on rocky hills <laughs> and if I get to like a, a flat, fast surface, yeah. You know, if I haven't specifically prepared, I'm not that that is not my wheelhouse. So yeah. it's all of that specificity. And you're right. It's all about perspective. You know, I had a few ski training days this year and steamboat. We were there during a cold snap and it was 22 below zero. <laughs> and I went out, you know, yeah. and I trained for a few hours and, and I got kind of cold. But, you know, I was fine. And, you know, then after that, it's like, oh, Grand Traverse comes around and it's zero Okay, this is oh, man, you know it's bomby pretty in comfortable. Here. It's like, hot. You know, I can I can do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I want to hear about Grand Traverse. So, how many people do the ski, and what's the atmosphere like at the beginning? You said you start at midnight in Crested Butte. Yep. Um, which just sounds entertaining, anyways. You know, like oh, walking around Crested yeah. Butte at midnight <laughs> has to be pretty fun. But yeah, so yeah, what's that like? It's awesome. I I, I think it's two hundred teams i could be wrong i think it's about 200 okay. teams these are two person teams some are are uh probably mostly all male teams but there are many co-ed teams and many um all female teams as well uh so yeah you, you start at midnight they in crested butte um there's always a um what is it some kind of like a disco um ball or something there's there's something going on okay. in that same ski square so all these people who've probably had a few drinks in them and have crazy dresses on and stuff come out to the start. So they're kind of lining the bottom of the hill here, you know, and then, and then you start off heading into the night up Crested Butte mountain resort at the start. Wow. Um, and it's awesome. I mean, you got all, all those people, you, you know, ways in, you look back and you see a string of headlights just going miles along. It's, it's really, you know, it's a very cool, um, you know, scenario and, and the top, you know, the top teams, they are going out hammering, you yeah. know, it's going to take them, you know, somewhere between six and a half and eight hours probably to win the thing. And, you know, they're taking out just, that. just hammering, you know, full speed. And, Jeez. um, you know, we, we weren't trying to win. We're kind of more, you know, let's start a little easier and, and see where we come out. So, you know, we're, we're off the, you know, maybe the sort of the end of the front or somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, but you know, you're, you're, um, yeah, you're, you're out there. It is, I tell you what, man, we had a 
clear night, just beautiful, spiritual, um, awesome to be. I love team races because you're out there with, you know, one or more people in in something together with with skin in the game. And, you know, it's a for, for me, that's a deep connection with with nature, with who I am you know, and what I want to get out of life. Yeah, man. And kind of with your partner too, you know, like you are, it is a team event. So who is your yeah. partner in this one? Um, yeah, team races are awesome. If, you know, if, yeah. any, if anyone's thinking about it and you've never done one, um, you know, and this could be a race, it could be again, your own mission that you plan in the outdoors. There's a huge value in it being in it together, helping each other, the ups and downs. Uh, my teammate uh, is Jamie Kilcoin, who's a, a good friend of mine who lives in Louisville. Um, I happen to coach him as well, and he's a real experienced endurance athlete and just awesome. Uh, we do a lot of schema races together, and uh, you know, a lot of it is like, here's someone I just want to spend time yeah. with. This is someone I can learn from who, uh, you know, he's a little bit older than me and kind of, you know, has just more experience in life and running his company and, you know, his kids are a bit older and balancing training and, uh, racing with life in general. And, um, you know, just an awesome guy. And we, we have a lot of, a lot of good times together out there. Um, so we're, we're cruising along as I told you. And, um, Jamie had kind of a, a rather unremarkable crash about two hours into the race. So it's now 2 AM and, uh, he skis up to me afterwards and it's like, Travis, I, th- I think we got a problem here. And, and he kind of looked down and I thought maybe his, like sometimes stuff breaks, like you know, equipment, yeah. finding broke yeah. Yeah, or like something on his boot broke or like, okay, can we fix this? Or, and, and, and he's like, I just broke my elbow. <laughs> he's and like, I'm I wish like, it was my equipment. I'm like, you, you broke your elbow. He's like, yeah, I, I broke my elbow, but oh my I, I really want to keep going. Um, so we, you know, we're, we're still very early on. We're kind yeah. of, you know, coming up what's, what's called lower brush Creek. You're very much on the crested butte side and, you know, somewhere around halfway or a little over halfway, you'll go over this, the star pass kind yeah. of the, the high point, the crux technically. And, you know, if you go past that, then, then you just have to keep going to Aspen. You yeah. Know, Cause otherwise you, you got to climb star pass again, basically. Yeah, exactly. Once you're over that, either you would, if you couldn't make it, you would stop at, at one of, uh, maybe two or three points where they have medical people and probably a snowmobile or something. And you could, could get a ride out, which, which would also be incredibly miserable, especially if you were injured. Like the <laughs> bumpiness of time. the snowmobile too. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. And yeah. freezing and, uh, you know, um, or, or you just keep going. So, you know, we decided to, uh, in my mind to, to keep going, but, but to, you know, again, we're talking in some of these things about risk mitigation and, you know, the, the most important thing is like everyone comes back. Okay. Yeah. So in my mind, we're kind of going up, but I constantly monitoring like, okay, pain tolerance is one thing, but is there a chance that Jamie might go into shock or start getting hypothermic or, yeah. you know, something like I, I was thinking, you know, it's one thing to say run all night long in the summer with a broken arm, Yeah. you know, when you're not going to freeze to death, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. this may be another thing where, you know, if you get stuck, like you could really be in trouble. Um, so we, you know, we decided to keep going and, and he held amazingly strong. You know, his arm was useless. It was very painful. He couldn't hold on to the poles. You know, we, we really had to work together with fueling and transition, you know, skin, you take your skins on and off 50 times in yeah. this race. So, um, you know, but again, that's, that's the teamwork and that's what like makes it 
really cool. And, you know, he held strong. He was super tough. And, and again, just super consistent all the way to the finish. Yeah. Well, it's funny because you're right. Like if that wasn't a team event, there's there would be no way to finish by yourself with a broken elbow, right? Like, cause you, you yeah. have to put the yep. skins on and exactly. Yeah. You literally, yep. Just, yeah. Doing, putting the, you know, ripping the skins, pulling them off. Like it's, it's a two, the only way to do it is with two hands. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and when you can't use one elbow, there's no way to do it. So, yeah. so yeah, that was, you know, um, what does really elbow work like? What did it like? Did you, you couldn't see it then probably cause he has coat. Yeah. On yeah. I mean, it was covered up. We never like yeah. looked at it, yeah. <laughs> but then we got to the finish and there was, you know, there was an ambulance there. You just kind of standing by. So we went down there and you know, the paramedic, you know, looked at it. We kind of slowly got his clothes off. And I mean, it was just totally, it was huge. You yeah. know, I mean, Jeez. you know, three times as big as it should have been. And, um, you know, the guy said, yeah, this is definitely broken. And, you know, I think you got to get it checked out. And, um, so then, um, we had, uh, you know, basically a friend who had come to help with driving and stuff, took Jamie to a hospital in Aspen. They did the x-ray, you know, diagnosed, okay. You know, basically there is a piece of, it, it turns out, I, I guess if you hyperextend your elbow, uh, you know, extremely, yeah. the tip of the elbow can just break off. Um, which I think is what happens, you know, it's a small piece of bone and it's not an uncommon break. Um, you know, they've seen it before. So they said, well, okay, you know, now we're at, uh, Saturday morning. So then for Monday, he was able to schedule a surgery, yeah. you know, back on the front range. And they, they kind of just, I think wired it back on, um, <laughs> you know, and it's, and it's getting better and, yeah. you know, and, and I mean, Jamie's the kind of guy like he, he likes being active he likes having that purpose and you know within a week he was kind of yeah. you know riding his bike trainer at home pretty easy um you know sitting up and um you know and, and now what are we five six weeks out you know he's he's running he's he's done some road biking he hasn't really been mountain biking yet but you know he's he's back at it That's um, awesome he's doing the um quad rock 25 miler oh yeah uh, this weekend yeah yeah this weekend um, and then he's, um, he signed up for lead man again. That's awesome, man. So, and I have to imagine anytime he's in a dark place in a race, he can be like, well, you know what? At least I don't have a broken elbow right now. Yeah. Well, you know? it is. And those are, I mean, I am a huge fan of like the reason you, you do this stuff at the core is you are learning resilience and mental toughness yeah. and, and that, you know, we all need that in life. We all have challenges, life throws, you know, huge curveballs at us. And, you know, I think you're just a little more prepared when you believe in yourself deeply because you've done some hard things by choice. Yeah. Well, and I, that's your first lesson in your book, which I have right here. Uh, oh, thanks. And because I, I was rereading it because I'm doing a race this weekend and I'm like, I need to remember oh, okay. some of this stuff because yeah, good. Uh, I'm doing a 12 hour um, oh, nice. At which, White, which White Ranch Park is Tommy Knockers. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, um, nice. Is that a, that's the run there? Yeah. So uh, yeah. it's kind of weird. There's different loops that you do. So you go up to the main aid station and then mm -hmm. there's like three different or four different loops that you draw from. And one of the loops mm. is really hard. So you're like, you don't want to get yellow or whatever. Yeah, you know, but uh, so anyway, it's gonna be cool. So I've you, never... you draw one each each yeah. time you come through. Oh, and then wow, it what tells a you which That's... right, super cool yeah. concept. Um, and then yeah, so I'm really excited, but at the same time, I've never done a 12 hour event. 
And really I'm looking at it as like, I just want to be on my feet that long. I'm trying to look yep. at it as training, even though like you, I get very competitive. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. but I'm trying to yep. remind myself like, this is just training. You're going to be on your feet for a long time and that's what you need. So, um, yep. but yeah. So yeah. anyways, I, I was trying to remember that though. The whole, like everything is mental training, I think is a really mm -hmm. key mindset to yep. bring yeah, to the table. Yeah, it's all good mental training. And I would say, you know, especially for a duration like that, you know, start out conservative mentally yeah. and physically. <clears throat> In other words, you don't want to go out and you've got all this hype and I'm all excited yeah. and you're listening <laughs> to music or like, don't even be thinking about, you know, mental training or all of these, <laughs> you know, stories you're going to tell yourself. Don't even pull out those tricks till, you know, well later on when you do start suffering Yeah, because you will and, and that's okay. And also I think a, a great thing to expect is people get into, you know, longer excursions, whether it's a run or anything else is there will be highs and lows, yeah. you know, and you might go through a low point at your six hours in and, and you think, Oh my God, if I feel this bad now, how bad am I going to feel after yeah. 10 hours? And the answer truly is that it's counterintuitive. The answer is you might feel a lot better. Yeah. And I think if you keep moving, keep eating and drinking and stay as positive as you can, you probably will feel better. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, you know, they stop these things too soon because they think, Oh, it can only get worse from here. Um, but that's not true. You know, it's like most things in life. It can look really, really bleak and lo and behold, it can actually get better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, I'm thinking about you doing a team event. It has to also teach you patience, you know, um, patience mm -hmm. and like understanding of someone else and how you can't always control their reactions or what's going to happen to them. You just have to kind of be able yep. to respond and, and be like kind of elastic in your whole, either your expectations or elastic in your just patience, I guess at that point. Yeah. People who are not flexible, yeah. um, do not do well in team races, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, or in my opinion, life in general, because life is a team race and yeah. you know, you don't go through this thing alone and i think one thing you, you learn with a lot of team races especially these long ones is you know you are going to be the strongest person on the team at times and you are absolutely going to be the weakest person on the team at times yeah and i don't care if you're you know the the fittest mentally toughest most experienced <laughs> person in the world you know you are going to need help and i think there's a huge value in being comfortable with that and yeah. asking for and accepting help in and, um, you know, again, those, those ups and downs, hopefully everyone's not at a down the same time because yeah. then you can, you can help each other. Yeah. That's cool, man. So, and then you take all those tools and that mindset into the real world. Um, but you, you specifically also take that mindset into, um, like solo adventures or maybe not even solo adventures, but I'm thinking about your like mountain hunting and exploring and stuff like that. Like, yep. how is that? It's, it almost seems to, to me like it's progressed into that for you, where it's like, I've done all these adventure races and all these endurance stuff, and now I'm going to try this other kind of like different aspect of being in the mountains. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've really gotten into to big game hunting here yeah. in Colorado and beyond mm -hmm. in the last few years. Um, I've, I've been getting a, really back into fly fishing um, this year, That's I'm going to cool. go to Alaska in July with um, 
my dad and my son to, to do a, a fishing and camping so trip. Cool. And, yeah. and, it, and it, it has, you know, this, this is not to say I'm not running biking, you know, maybe doing some of those races, you know, again, maybe something like eco challenge. Um, but, but it's, you know, in some ways back to that sole purpose of what does it mean to be a human? What were we made to do? Where yeah. can you really, um, you know, find a lot of that calm. And, and for me, you know, you're fly fishing or you're hunting, you are dialed in, you know, yeah. you, you have got to be in a flow state where all senses are, are totally tuned. And I think that's a huge value to that. I, I, I think everyone needs to go out in the woods alone and sit there and not move and be quiet for hours. And, <laughs> yeah, and that's something, uh, you, you know, whether you do that, I don't, you know, you can do that alone. You can do that in a park. You can do it way deep in, in the woods, you know, where there's grizzly bears, uh, <laughs> you know, find your way to do that. But I think there's a huge value. And, and that's a lot of, for me, what, you know, something like hunting or fishing does, uh, you know, it's not all about the harvest or the, the moment of a, of a kill. That's actually very small, you know, it's an important part, but time-wise yeah. a very small part of this whole experience. And, um, I, I think there's a huge, huge value in that, yeah. you know, it calms you down. Like that's what people were made to be outside doing hard physical activity, um, getting food. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, so, and you were, you got to go up to Canada and be on Greg McHale's, uh, wild Yukon. And I talked to yep. Greg on here, which was like one of my favorite episodes because that guy, just like you, has taken these skills that he's learned from adventure racing and now is like it's led to the next thing for him, which yep. is creating this show. So, what was that experience like? Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. yeah. He, you know, little background Greg's a good friend of mine. We started out racing against each other, yeah. you know, yeah. 15, 20 years ago, then ended up doing a lot of racing together and just, you know, phenomenal athlete and, and a great person who, uh, you know, has, he grew up in Eastern Canada, you know, kind of down in, in the plains and decided 20 years ago, he's going up to the Yukon. And I mean, you get up there and man, you know, you think Colorado is a wild <laughs> place. Like, you know, try going to the Yukon, yeah. and, um, you know, just hundreds of miles of wilderness. You fly, Greg's got a little bush plane, you know, that he flies and, you know, you fly that thing four hours and it, you see nothing. I mean, there are no roads, towns, nothing, just mountains, lakes, rivers, um, incredible country. And I think that for me was, you know, one of the biggest takeaways, just the reminder, like there are still places like this in the world and it, you know, comes back to conservation and all those kind of things. Let's yeah. make sure that these, these places and these animals, uh, remain and, you know, and the good thing about up there is like this, this, that's not a place most people want to live. It is so inhospitable, especially in the winter, but even in the summer that, you know, most people are not going to go there, um, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. I was funny. I was telling Greg, I was a bit intimidated to talk to, talk to someone from the Yukon or like Alaska. Cause I'm like, they're just way tougher. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, living a certain way by choice. And, yeah, exactly. You know, you can imagine, okay, is, is a person putting forth a huge effort, you know, in work of sitting in front of a computer or teaching a class or, yeah. you know, whatever. These are all things that take a huge amount of energy. And I think a lot of people who've chosen that life 
lifestyle, there is still a huge workout point and maybe more of it is, you know, the, the physical side of things, clearing snow, yeah. you know, <laughs> like th- these kind of things that take a lot of time. And, you know, I think there's value in it. Yeah, that's cool. Has that episode come out yet with you in it? Or? Um, no, I think those are kind of, so, so they were season one of, of yeah. Greg's hunting TV show, Greg McHale's Wild You kind of, I think it's on the Sportsman channel. Yeah, yeah. Season one aired kind of um, late summer, fall 2018. Um, season two, which we filmed a couple episodes for last fall, will air, I think, probably starting July or August um, of, of this year, 2019. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, you know, they're planning on shooting season three That's again cool. this fall. What were you guys, what uh, were yeah, you guys so, hunting? Um, so the first, so I didn't have a tag. I was, um, uh, as you know, hunting as probably most people know is highly regulated. Yeah. You know, you can't, anyone can't just go out there and harvest any animal. And so, especially coming from, um, out of, country for the yukon you know to buy a tag is super expensive and highly regulated um so greg was the hunter i was kind of the hunter's buddy if you You were the adventurer uh, with him yeah yeah you you know and and again it's back to this kind of team sort of thing i think you're doing something on camera it adds a, a new level of um you know just variety and connection to the audience to you know have a conversation to to show this experience as a team um, so that was my role, you know, That's and cool. just to learn and have fun and, you yeah. know, be in the adventure. So the, the first hunt was a mountain goat hunt, um, that we did primarily from, um, kayaks. We had, uh, sea kayaks in this big river, you know, kind of paddling down the river and stopping and glassing up on the hills. And, um, that was super cool. And then the, the next hunt was a mountain caribou hunt. Um, and that was really interesting because, you know, you think caribou and you think of, um, at least I think for most people, the barren ground caribou, which yeah. are the ones, you know, you see National Geographic, you have the herds of thousands yeah, of them the doing the huge migration yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's amazing. And they live, you know, as you see, mostly on the tundra, you know, kind of flatter rolling country and the mountain caribou are, are a, um, you know, a subspecies that they live, uh, especially for most of the summer until they get pushed down by snow, they live up high on the mountaintops. I mean, country where you would think of seeing, um, doll sheep or mountain goats, you know, these, these other Alpine animals. I mean, they're up there in the rocks and Whoa. cliffs and that kind of stuff. And, um, so that's kind of where we we're hunting these mountain caribou is, you know, really again, up on mountaintops up above tree line, um, which tree lines lower up there. It's probably, gosh, I can't remember two, maybe two or 3000 feet is the, um, is the tree line and then the mountain tops are five or 6,000 wow. feet, okay. um, but they're still huge mountains. They, you know, they're starting at a thousand yeah. feet. So, yeah, yeah, man, that's so cool. So that's, and so you're going to go up there to Alaska with, with your kid and your dad and like, what, yep. what's your kind of plans for that? Just a good fishing trip or are you going to do some yeah, hiking so we and got stuff about, like that? about 10 days we'll fly into anchorage um i I rented a um, pickup truck with a cab over camper so we can sleep in that um, every night and then it's transportation as well um and we'll start kind of by heading south from anchorage um to homer which is um down on on the coast just a few hours away um and we're going to do uh one guided you know very touristy in that area you get on a big boat with 20 other people and go out and try to catch a halibut oh out Um, like deep sea fishing yeah, deep sea fishing. That's yep. cool. Um, and then we'll do a couple days later another um, uh, guided um, 
trip on the Kenai River um, going for king salmon. Um, and these are, you know, mostly, again, I'm especially with fishing, not super serious or, you know, yeah. going for the big fish or anything. But a, a <laughs> lot of, especially for, you know, for, for a kid, um, you know, to get up there and do that, it'd be awesome if, you know, he can um, hook into to something. And that's, a, you know, something I did when I was about Wyatt's age with, um, with my dad was getting out and doing that king salmon fishing and you know i think it's a to get to do that with um my dad and my son is you know that's a kind of priceless experience for me that's awesome man well cool well yeah let's uh let's kind of wrap it up here um do you have i was thinking about your book and the lessons in it are there any Mm -hmm. lessons now like a few years removed from writing it are there anything you would add Mm -hmm. to it for athletes or hmm oh man Sorry question, to end on Chris, such a deep yeah, question yeah. before seven a.m. <laughs> yeah. By the way, <laughs> no, I've thought about a lot of a lot of those things, and I think um, you know any anything that you create, you know, a podcast yeah. like this or a book or you know video, whatever. Like this podcast today is a snapshot of you and I at today. this moment yeah. in our lives, and we are growing and changing, and you know, learning and struggling and succeeding and and all of that you know goes over time so i think there probably have been some changes in in um my thinking yeah and uh, you know i'm not sure exactly what what that would be or how it would be different you know i mean i've thought about like oh you know is there an ultra mindset too sometime (laughs) like you know eight more principles or something you know maybe i don't know i i haven't uh, you know, the, the in the last sort of whatever few years since the book has come out, I haven't like, you know, come to a point where I'm like, oh, I know this is the next book, or I'm gonna, you know, write it or or not. But um, you know, we'll see. Yeah, man, that's cool. So where where can people kind of like find all your stuff and your coaching and all that stuff? Um, TravisMacy.com is probably the good place to start. There's links to the coaching nice. book, and there's a uh, download of the book on there or if anyone's interested in the book, it's on Amazon. Um, also an audio book, which, uh, I think for probably for a lot of us who, you know, either drive out to adventures yes, or, exactly. you know, maybe listen to stuff while we're out training, I think is a great way to, um, consume some learning. Yeah. My buddy's like, I, I tell my, he's like, I tell my girlfriend all the time. Like I read books all the time. She's like, what do you mean? You listen to the books. And I'm like, it still counts, <laughs> man. It still counts. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, Audible to me is a continuing education, you oh, know, yeah. a master's degree, a, a whatever. I, I love, you know, mostly nonfiction and, uh, you know, I just love love learning and that's a great way to do it. Yeah, man, definitely. Well, Travis, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Chris. Thanks, time. man. You too. Great job. I, every everything you're doing, man. Keep keep after it with teaching, parenting. Wow. I know you got three young kids now. Getting out for the 12 hour. Um, have yeah. fun. Let yeah. me know how it goes. The, I will. Um, if anyone's not local, the the, the White Ranch is a. It's a beast. Um, it's I I think of it as a the, the Belcher Hill is kind of the main <laughs> steep trail. You go from yeah. the bottom up to the top, and especially on the bike. I mean, it's it's a climb of truth because it is steep. It's rocky. It's sandy. Um, there's often rattlesnakes and stuff and it's like the kind of climb that like, you know, if you're not 
going along well with some good fitness. You you just can't make it. There's a lot of places where um, it's just so you know, long. You just, it's a long. It's like yeah, three it's miles long, of climbing. It's steep. Yeah, yeah, it's a good. It's a really good one. So yeah. you know. Hopefully you'll get the loop where you get to go up and down that many times. Well, that's the beginning. I'm walking it. I already told everybody. I'm like, I'm hiking the first five miles of this, hands down. So. Yeah, it's a good one to power. I mean, it's some of those some of those sections are so steep. You should be power hiking in yeah. that for a long race. Yeah, awesome, man. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. We'll uh, we'll have to come cool. back and uh, do this again at some point. I love talking with yeah. you. Chris, sounds good, man. Keep, All right. keep it rolling. All right. All right. Okay, that wraps up this week's episode. Travis, thank you so much for coming on the show. Guys, like I said in the intro, um, I'm telling you, his book is incredible. So please check it out, uh, The Ultra Mindset. Um, and really, like, like I said, just learning from someone who is as experienced as he is. Because when you read the book, you'll realize he started endur- endurance racing um, at a pretty young age. And... And even before him, his dad was an ultra endurance racer. And so to be able to talk to and pick the mind of um, someone who is that experienced is is just really fun and really great. And he, every time I talk to him, he he just reminds me of the importance it is to get out into the mountains in any form. Uh, maybe that is actually in a race. Maybe that's in a self-created adventure like we talked about on last episode. Or maybe that is just, you know, going out there, hiking to a beautiful location and sitting peacefully. Um, they're all important in their own ways and they all can help you grow uh, as you do it. So thank you, Travis, for coming on the show. That was awesome. Um, all right, guys, that's going to wrap up this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you're enjoying the episodes of the podcast, definitely check out the rest of ours. Uh, like I said, Travis was on before, and I'll look up real quick. I probably should have done this beforehand, but you know what? That's all right. Um, Travis was on the podcast before last year uh, for number 94, and that's when we kind of dig into, uh, kind of more specifics about his book and his mindset and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, if you're, if you like this, if you want to leave feedback, I really appreciate it. Um, we've been getting more reviews lately, which is really cool for me because I like to see if you guys are enjoying it, um, what you're taking away because every week I leave taking, taking away these incredible lessons and motivation, um, from all these people that are willing to come on the show and chat with me, which is super cool. And I hope you guys are as well. So you can leave a review, um, on iTunes or anything like that. So, all right, that'll do it. Oh, if you guys want to kind of check out how how my race went this weekend i'm doing the tommy knockers ultra in white ranch park it's like 15 minutes from my house um it's a 12-hour race and i texted my buddy thomas mullins who is another person that uh i've just learned so much from in fact ultra racing wise i'm like he's probably the person i've learned the most of from um and he sent me some really good advice uh, about that. So a lot of hiking the uphills, and there's a lot of uphills there. Keep my heart rate as low as possible for the first, you know, 10 hours or so. And then the last couple hours, open it up. If I feel good, save it for that. So, yeah, it should be really cool. Um, I'm looking at it as more of a training run. And so um, I'm hoping I don't get competitive. <laughs> 
but uh sometimes that's hard for me um but yeah so that'll be cool i'll let you guys know how that went and how much pain i was in towards the end which i'm assuming i'm going into it thinking like yeah the last few hours might be tough motivation might be tough because you're doing these loops um but at the same time, it'll be a really cool experience. It'll be a way to get on my feet for a long time as I'm training for uh, the Desert Rats, Gemini Adventure Desert Rats race again this summer. So, all right, that'll wrap it this week, guys. We'll talk to you next week. See ya.